Let's turn to God's Word, and we are continuing our preparations for Christmas and for the coming of the Christ child. We know he wasn't born on the 25th of December, I hasten to add, but nonetheless, as we mark that event, um, we are going to turn to Luke chapter 1. My good friend, the Reverend John Fairfoe, um, who is now a, a very keen and committed member of the Free Church, um, but nonetheless, as you know, traditionally the Free Church don't really mark Christmas, they're more into the new year, and John, in his, well, particular style, had an interesting discussion with his minister when he took the minister of the Free Church to task that there was actually more biblical warrant for marking the season of Christmas than there was New Year, which is really a bit of a pagan festival. I thought, you better watch yourself, you know. <laughs> when you sign up for somewhere, well, you know, you don't start rocking the boat. Um, I think they do now a wee bit more um, quietly. Um, they certainly wouldn't be having candles on the communion table. Um, but I think they do so now sort of mark it slightly more than, than, than they used to. But there is a season of Christmas and of Advent. So let's hear God's word. We're going to read the song together that Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, chanted or prophesied or sang or proclaimed in one way or another um, as John was born. So we're going to pick up from verse 67 of Luke chapter 1. John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And Luke goes on to say, and the child grew, that is John the Baptist, grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness till he appeared publicly to Israel. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We had, as you will know, most of you will know, a wedding in church yesterday. It was Fiona Patterson and her wedding to Robert, and we had a lovely time. I had known Fiona, or as I said at the wedding service, I had baptized her in Kemya Mount Vernon Church. We had witnessed her grow, we had heard and led her through a time of profession of her faith, and it was a great joy and a great privilege to be able to conduct her wedding. And indeed, a number of us were later on at the evening reception. And when Robert had told me, and Robert and Fiona told me two years ago just now that they were planning to get married. I must say, I thought two years is a guy long time 
to um, you know, plan for a wedding, although I do know nowadays it is very hard to get a venue and everything else. But as I said yesterday, they didn't really know, of course, that COVID was going to come along and the large parts of that two years certainly weren't going to be normal or easy to be able to organize things. In fact, they kind of had to squeeze things in between lockdowns and things being open and all the rest of it and organize where the reception was, which was in the piping center, and then to try and begin to do other things. And trying to carry on a relationship on Zoom um, at a distance, because Robert lives in Helmsborough um, and Fiona lives in Broomhouse and the other side of Glasgow. Well, but God undertook. And we wanted, obviously, it was winter time, and it was a terrible day. It wasn't like this. It was a terrible day yesterday, and we wanted the place to be as nice as possible. And particularly this morning, as you're sitting in church, I'm sure, well, at least I hope you are, uh, impressed by, once again, our Christmas tree. And I do want to thank our office bearers who very, um, I was going to say manfully, but I don't think that's the right word you're supposed to use nowadays, but, well, you don't mind, Janice. You, you were very much involved. Um, well, they had a struggle, but they got the tree up, and then Janice and Jim and perhaps Alice and others um, decorated it very tastefully. So let's show our appreciation to those who worked so hard in order to do this. And much effort in other ways was done in order to assure that the place was just right. You see, special events, and you had a special event not that long ago either, Isabel, as you recommitted yourself in marriage and, and, and had a special evening for that. And, and, and other people, we're looking forward to a dedication service for little Hannah in January. And other events, all of these events, getting ready for Christmas, involves a degree of preparation, of getting things ready. And we want that to be the case, because we want things to be right, at least hopefully we do. Not to show off, not to let, cause other people to think, oh, look at them and look what they've done. Certainly not as Christians, we shouldn't be like that. But we want things to be right. We want when people to perhaps come into our homes or share with us in our celebration to feel that we've gone to an effort and, and that we're incorporating them and we're wanting to draw them into our cause for thanksgiving. Things do need to be prepared. And commitments we make to have events and to do things as best as we can obviously COVID restrictions always pop in somewhere, we want to see these things fulfilled and followed through and carried out. Well, if that's true in our normal lives and in our reasons for celebration and wanting to mark special events, then that is very true of God's preparation for the coming of His Son, Jesus Christ, born of Mary, born of God. There was much effort. Now, in passing, one might not think that was the case. Let's be honest. They arrived in Bethlehem. There was no room for them at the inn, and Mary and Joseph had to kind of shack up in a barn or a cave, and Jesus was born into, you know, a stable, which wasn't all nice. I mean, dear knows what the COVID regulations and environmental health would have made of having a baby in a cow shed. Uh, you know? And so in that sense, it might appear as if things were disorganized. But in God's sense and in God's plan, the promises He had made, the circumstances that He ordered, and the Word that He brought forth into flesh was all well prepared. 
And actually, in many ways, this song of Zechariah, which sometimes is neglected because we focus on Mary's song, the Magnificat, for understandable reasons, but nonetheless, this song that Zechariah sings after the birth of John, John the Baptist, is so rich and full of just what we're talking about, of God's promises, of the preparation that was going in, and of how that was going to be announced and made known. Let's be honest, there's no point us having a wedding or a celebration or any special event in our life, a birthday party, or just having folk round for tea one afternoon, unless we actually ask folk. I remember a few years ago when it was, in fact, a good few years ago, very old time, 2012, oh dear goodness, oh my goodness, 10 years ago nearly, when we had the limp, remember the, the, the Commonwealth Games, and there was something planned, and the person, I can say this because they're not in church and they won't be listening to the sermon, uh, the person who was entrusted to organize a particular event was given the task of making it well known, and on the very night when we were standing here, or with a number of younger people at that time, you know, ready to do that, it was going to be a quiz night and all the rest of it, and we wondered why nobody ever turned up. Then we found out, I have to be honest with you, that the person had ever actually gone and asked the folk, the pubs and various folks, the teams to actually come. Surprise, surprise, nobody was here. But God proclaims what he's going to do. He makes it known supremely in his word. But I have to say the angels had their part as well, as did Zechariah and all the other folk in the Christmas story. Notice, just, we're just going to spend a few minutes um, to look at this, but just look at what he says in his song, if you have your Bibles open in front of you. Praise be to the Lord of God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's bought them back. That was always the promise that God would buy a people for himself. The story of Egypt and of the lamb and the blood of the, and the lintel of the doorway, God buying out his people from Egypt, delivering them, paying a price in the, the blood of the lamb in order that his people could be rescued and could be brought back into the land of promise. And that idea of redemption, of buying out the people, the scapegoat that was carried out in the day of atonement when, when the high priest laid his hands on the goat and it was led out into the wilderness. And in a sense, uh, metaphorically, prophetically, he lays his hands on the goat, laying on that sacrifice the sins of the people so that they could be dealt with, so they could be paid for, so that the people could be forgiven. All of that and so much more in the Jewish faith speaks of a God who was going to buy a people back for himself. Well, Zechariah says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Literally, the horns were blown played, the tones were given as a sign that the king was coming, that the time of worship was nigh, that the temple was being dedicated, that God was going to be honored. And all of this, Zechariah says, is now revealed not in a musical instrument, but through someone born of the house of his servant David, the prophet promise had been given to David that someone greater than David would sit on his throne, David's greater son. Solomon sat on the throne, yes, but he was by no means perfect. But of the house and of the line of David, one a child was born. 
salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. The longing to be safe, the desire to be secure, the ache of our hearts for things to be right. We see that. I've mentioned that in the past. We see that played out in so many people's longings in so many different areas of life today, whether it be do with the environment, whether it be do with caring for people within our world. Very worthy concerns, that longing for somehow things to be transformed, for perfection to be experienced, for sin and death and suffering to be done away with the yearning for Eden to be restored, for heaven to come down. All of that manifests in a whole range of human yearnings and longings down through their history. How is that going to be fulfilled? That deliverance from the enemies that rob us of hope and security and peace and satisfaction and well-being and Eden being restored and heaven coming down. Well, Zechariah says, there is one who is coming who is going to do that not by getting rid of the Romans and setting himself up in a caliphate in Jerusalem, but in dying on the cross and gloriously rising again from the grave. And who's promised in the reading, actually, that was shared yesterday at Fiona's wedding from the book of Revelation of that new creation, of that new heaven, and of the voice of the living God who says, Behold, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I make all things new. And the oath that he swore to his father Abraham, the promise that the righteous would live by faith as Abraham did, not perfect, but exercised faith in God that through him and from him the nations of the world would be blessed by his descendants. We, by faith, Abraham's children, enter into the promise that Eden will be restored, that heaven will come down, and the King of kings, the Lord of lords, David's greater son, not Boris, not Nicola, but David's greater son will rule on his throne. That's the promise. But there was preparation, and the preparation involved, in part, John the Baptist. Zechariah, no doubt, and the context, of course, is that Zechariah, were told earlier on in chapter 1, that Zechariah and his wife were faithful people. Verse 6 of chapter 1, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they weren't able to have a child. They were both very old. Here were faithful folks. Yes, perhaps in some ways going through the motions. 
there had been no prophet in the land of Israel since the prophet Malachi that I referred to at the beginning of the service had spoken. That's not to say, and interesting, I was listening to something just the other week that was just bringing that point out. That's not to say that God wasn't at work, that somehow he went away for 400 years, went to sleep, and just kind of let things go to pot. It wasn't that but there wasn't a word from the Lord in the prophetic tradition for 400 years. It took that time for things to be prepared. Two years for a wedding might be bad. 400 years for the coming of the Son of God, well. But for things to be prepared. And God was at work through the events of history. That's why it's so vital as Christians that we actually do have. I'm just saying this because I wanted to be a history teacher. I fundamentally believe that if we don't have an understanding of biblical history and of the history of our times, then actually we're missing out on so much and we're very open then to be enticed by all sorts of winds and waves of passing doctrines and notions and fancies. God was at work. Zechariah, who faithfully went through the motions. And that's why, of course, we're told when the angel turned up, well, understandably so, he got a wee bit of a fright. Uh, and, and, and his lack of faith, and it's the reason the Bible's so honest, his lack of faith when he said, when the angel told him he was going to have a child, and in verse 16, he will bring many back of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah says, I think quite understandably, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel says to him, look guys, or look guy, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day of this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And his tongue was only loosened, we're told, when it came to the birth of John, and people right when those two days would speak and would say to the Father, what is the child's name? Because Zechariah was silent, and we're told in verse 59 of chapter 1, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Thank goodness that day passed when you used to have to call folk after, wouldn't it? Yes, yes, yes. I certainly wouldn't be called William if my mum had managed to get away with it. That wasn't her intention, but because my father was William, his uncle was, you know, was one of these things. Oh dear, well, that was true in those days as well. You just had to pair with somebody else's name. And the poor mum didn't have much say in it. Then they made signs to his father, verse 62, to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue set free, and he began to speak praising God, and all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the whole country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. You see, my friends, God was working his purposes out. A promise had been given, I read to you earlier, from the book of Malachi, 400 years before. Folk thought, well, that's it, gone and dusted. But you see, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His time plan, his scheme of, of days and weeks and months and years is not the same. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. In one sense, in the eternal mystery of who God is, it's always now, now. Now is the day of salvation. And John, 
following the tradition of Elijah and in fulfillment of the promise given all those years before, was going to prepare the way for the Lord. And Zechariah in his song breaks that up, verse 76, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him, to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, and again a quote from the book of the prophet Malachi, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, does that not ring a wee bell last Sunday in Isaiah 9? To guide our feet into the path of peace. All of these threads were coming together. All of these promises were being worked out and fulfilled. All that time of preparation was not in vain. Just at the right time, God sent His Son, the Apostle Paul tells us. And therefore, we can have confidence that the God who did all of this in order to redeem a people for himself is the God who can guide our feet in the paths of peace to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to bring to people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And actually, you see quite a fundamental change and shift in people's thinking here. Zechariah, no longer get rid of the Romans or let's, you know, tart up religion or make the temple even nicer or do this or do that with doves or ducks or anything else. The core of the gospel, the good news to give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. I actually heard someone speak in this passage this morning. You know, I listen to the radio on a Sunday morning, usually, and I listened to it this morning, and they read out the same path. I thought, well, that's quite good. I'll get some ideas for my sermon. <laughs> my wife's looking at me. <laughs> Once again, he spoke about everything and anything, and many good things, particularly about Merton College and how they allowed women to get not only go there, but eventually to get their exams and pass and get a degree and everything. Important things. And he drew from this passage, how he did it, I'm not very sure, but he drew from this passage all sorts of things about that. I never heard him speak once about the fact that Jesus was born and gave his life as a ransom for many. Not ladies or gentlemen, in order that you can get your degree from a university, but in order that you can get your sins forgiven and know what it is to be made right with God. Yesterday's wedding, as I finish, was tinged with sadness. A dear aunt, um, Carolyn Patterson, sister-in-law, died at 58, 59. She was very frail with health. She had a kidney transplant, which barely worked a short time ago. She was on immunopressant things, you know, you have to get pills, you have to get, in order that your body doesn't reject the kidney. And of course, unfortunately, somebody in the family brought in COVID. And so none of the vaccines, none of the things worked because she was just, and she passed away on Thursday, Thursday morning. But that tinge of sadness 
didn't take away from the wonder of love and the reason to celebrate. And however sad we may be this morning, and however concerned we might well be from what we hear going on round about us, and we come with all of that in the background, it's not we ignore that or switch off or just put our heads under the pillow and hope it all goes away. It's actually we bring all of that into the reality of what God has said and done in Jesus Christ. And His light dispels the gloom and the darkness. And in Him, not that we always get our questions answered, but in Him, we know that security and that joy that causes us, even in sorrow, still to celebrate. Zechariah sang that song. Did he think that 2,000 years later, Christians would still be listening to it and singing the same melody? In my heart, that old gospel song, there rings a melody, a melody of love. That shows that that's not a human purely a human event. These things get forgotten about. These things pass. Years move on. Things go become ancient history, and most of us don't even remember. That's because now is still the day of salvation. God has done a mighty work, and He calls you and me to come and to prepare our hearts for Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's sing together. And now I know why we sang the different hymns, but we're going to sing. Well, it actually fits in very well, actually. Love came down at Christmas. Thanks, Gail. Love came down at Christmas. Love, all lovely. Love divine. Love was born at Christmas. Star and angels gave the sign. If I hadn't been faffing about with that photocopier, I was going to test this out before the service. How do you actually get into the thing? It's helpful. So what I suggest you do is there's a top, I found this out, there's a top cover, that clear perspex bit. You peel that off first and you get the communion token. I tell you, but definitely think we're on the road to Rome with this. Um... And I think I should really make sure you get that done first before we get anywhere else. <laughs> oh dear, these Chinese have got a lot to answer for, haven't they? <laughs> this is online, mind you. It's on River Road. Well, you managing? It does take away a wee bit from celebrating the Lord's Supper if we have to spend 10 minutes faffing about with her. Have we managed it? Good. Ah, I see. I think there's still a few. Let me do a lengthy prayer, and hopefully by that time you'll be ready. <laughs> Let's, ah, this is where it's nice for a family, isn't it? Let's pray together. We thank you, O oh God, that our faith doesn't depend on a piece of plastic on top of a plastic cup. 
and that actually, in many ways, our access to the throne of grace is far easier than getting into a communion token and some communion wine. That by the Holy Spirit, we can draw near to that throne of grace where we can find assurance in the forgiveness of our sins, of the knowledge of God with us, Emmanuel, and the fulfilling of the promises that Zechariah so powerfully sang about or prophesied about when John the Baptist was born. And we thank you that this, even at this very moment as we draw near to you to share in the bread and wine of communion. You have opened the door of heaven and invited us to come. And we do that in faith, in penitence, with sorry, with a real genuine sorrow, sorrowful heart for our sins, with thanksgiving that the blood of Jesus avails for not just our sins, but the sins of His people. And with that promise that as we celebrate here, so hereafter we will join at the banqueting table of heaven and worship the Lamb who was slain for us. And so for that big picture of your might and majesty, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them for that horn of salvation raised for us just as you said through your prophets of long ago. For all of that, we give you thanks. And we ask that you would prepare our hearts now to eat and to drink, to taste of the things of the living God, not in this token and that bit of juice, but in the reality that you reveal to us as we share in this sacrament. So as we eat and drink, fill our hearts, renew our faith, and sanctify our souls, we pray, all for the glory and honor of Jesus' name. Amen. We know the Christmas story. We know that when Jesus was brought in Luke, particularly draws their attention to that, when Jesus was brought to be dedicated, Simeon was in the temple, and he gave this word, this song. He sang again. A lot of singing went on that first time, or at least some form of chanting. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And we're told that Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about Jesus. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And I've often thought, 
how those words must have come back into Mary's heart and mind. They were there, but were brought back out to the surface as those events of Holy Week, as those events of Good Friday, and of that day between as she sat and pondered deeply all that had happened and all that had said, as a sword had pierced her own soul. She also remembered the promise that her eyes had seen the salvation which had been prepared in the sight of all nations. This is Jesus, the child of Bethlehem, the man of sorrows, the Lord of glory, the coming again. We remember the Lord Jesus Christ and how in the night when he was betrayed, he took a piece of bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we remember how after the supper he took that messianic cup and said, this cup speaks of the new relationship made possible with God through my death. Drink and remember me. Let's pray together. I don't think it's only me, Lord, that drank that juice and thought it was rather bitter. I was forewarned by David Miller yesterday that it was. But Lord, that reminds us of that bitter cup that you drank fully. And of that place of brokenness and sacrifice that you gave of yourself on that cross. And yet from that comes the sweet things of God's grace and mercy. And we, like Mary, would ponder deeply on these truths. And so over these coming weeks, yes, some of us will have things to get on with. We've got families, we've got pressure at work, there'll be things to be done by the end of the year, we've got to get organized. And yet there's others of us, right, perhaps in a sense at the end of the spectrum who don't have very much to do, and as I said right at the beginning, may find this time actually particularly difficult. Whoever we are, wherever we've come from, whatever the story of our lives and the circumstances we face, Emmanuel, come afresh to win our souls 
to revive our faith and draw us ever closer into a love relationship with you. So that we, perhaps in a less auspicious way than John the Baptist, but nonetheless in a similar way, might be used by you to prepare the way for the Lord and for His purposes. And as we finish, again, a moment of quietness. We came at the beginning bringing to you things about other people and situations and circumstances, but now as we gather around this table, we are open and honest before you. And so in these last minutes of quietness, we open our hearts, we prepare our lives, and we would welcome you, King Jesus, afresh to be known amongst us and within us. Lord Jesus Christ, hear us as we pray. For your name's sake. Amen. I have a confession to make. I've been told by David how awful that wine was and the bread. So actually, I had made private provision. And then I thought, no, if you've got to take it, I've got to take it. <laughs> We're all in the same boat together. We're all in need of the mercy and grace of God. Let's conclude our worship as we sing together our final hymn, Look to the Skies. There's a celebration. Lift up your heads. Join the angel song for a creator becomes our savior as a baby born. Fiona and Robert had this as their final hymn at their wedding, which was very encouraging and uplifting, and we'll sing it as our closing hymn today. Thanks, Graham. Let's say the grace together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Please be seated.